0: Well, hey there, everybody. It's been a little while since we last met on the "Our Band Is Better Than Your Band" podcast. Some things have happened, Antonio. Yeah, Kobe retired.
1: Yeah, end of an era.
0: End of an era. Uh, everyone got obsessed with Cody, Kobe. Excuse me, um, taking fifty shots against the Jazz rather than the Warriors being the greatest team of all time, which was weird. <laughs>
1: It was, like, the last four or five minutes of that game was awesome. The Kobe game.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was good. Like, the Warriors did a nice thing by, like, going ahead and getting up by 20 and yeah. half to kind of be like, hey, guys, this is, we're, we got this on lockdown. Hey. Y'all, y'all can go ahead and switch over to the deuce.
1: Because the first, like, three or four minutes of that Kobe game, like, he was chucking up shots, and they like, barely grazing rim, and then you see Steph Curry, like, hitting all these threes, so, like, you watch the Warriors game, then you see them get up by all these points, then... You just like stay around until Steph hits like four hundred threes. Yes. And then that's when you can change the Kobe game. That's what I did.
0: Yeah, that's what I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna do the second screen thing yeah. for a little while and then you just kinda go, Alright, we'll go with just one screen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Steph had twenty points at the end of the first quarter, I was like, Oh my god, he's gonna score eighty two on <laughs> the night of Kobe's last game. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then, then dance. Yeah. Do that Steph dance. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then, yeah, Kobe just took over the last five minutes, and that was an awesome right. end of the game right. sequence.
0: Yeah, you know, our two favorite baseball teams, I'm a Braves fan, you're a Padres fan, mm-hmm. both have actually already already been eliminated from the postseason, despite yeah. the fact that it's still April, which, yeah. is, which is new and different.
1: And Padres haven't scored a run yet all season. I mean, it's a good time in San Diego.
0: The moment when I, like, woke up, and checked Twitter and saw that Melvin Upton Jr. was the Padres hero, I was just like, Okay, that's bad.
1: Hey, that walk off the, the other day. I was texting my my buddy, I was like, There's no way like Melvin Upton's betting fifth. There's no way this this team's gonna win anything.
0: No, no, he's he's awful. He's yeah. he is the absolute worst.
1: Yeah, and then he had to walk off home run the same day. So you never know.
0: And he will hold on to that until August. The thing he will be he will be in August mired in a one for eighty slump. And he'll be like and they'll bench him. And then the reporters will go over to talk to him about being benched. And he'll be like, Yeah, but remember that walk off I hit in the middle of <laughs> April? That proves I was just about to turn the corner. I just need to play every day. That's the Melvin Upton Junior thing. Yeah. Is the like hold on to something from six months ago as evidence that he has a birthright. To be in the lineup
1: that ball barely got over the wall too like barely over the center fielder's glove he had it lined up and everything <laughs> it's like an inch away from being a catch right but hey gotta give Melvin up some, some credit
0: yeah I mean the Braves find new and interesting ways to lose yeah. which is kind of it's not fun it's it's creative it's it adds some suspense. You don't know how it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. Yeah. You, know? and you like you watch Daniel Winkler, the reliever, and you're just like, all right, maybe the price got a little something here. You know, Find somebody off the scrap heap that could turn into a valuable reliever. Mm-hmm. very next day, it breaks his elbow.
1: Yeah, it keep you, keeps you on your toes. Yeah, the season, right. Like...
0: Yeah, absolutely. you got to watch every night because you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I've
1: seen plenty of bad teams in my life. so. Um, Yeah, as long as they keep it interesting.
0: Right. No, absolutely. All right, Let's little about something <laughs> that's actually – that has happened since we last talked that is relevant to the nature of this podcast, Uh, like Jackson State football, Yep, which had a spring game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Spring practice is over. Tony Hughes has now led 15 practices as the head coach. We're gonna drill down into this, but big picture, what is your number one major takeaway from the spring?
1: Just the energy that Jackson State uh, practiced with. Uh, I went, Practicing at 5 a.m. every day, or three days a week, it's really tough. I mean, those kids were going out there, like, full force, like, every time at 5 a.m. Tony, like, they like they bought into what Tony was, like, preaching them um, because he was getting them out there 5 a.m. every day and going 100%. So just that and just the way the coaches, like, Tony Hughes has been, like, a shot in the arm, him and the coaching staff, um, just the, the energy levels they have, the way – They've been coaching the way they they've been teaching. I think that was the biggest kind of takeaway from from this spring.
0: How much energy did you have? At
1: <laughs> not much, not much. Uh, like like I told people before, I've, I've timed I've timed it out to where you kind of get out there like five twenty, yeah. five thirty when they're just when they're finished stretching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I got that timed out for like the first day or two. Like okay, this is what they're gonna do. Like this is their routine. Like Maybe you can get there a little bit later because it's just like when you first get there, like 5:30, just like punt, punt, punt working and like field goals and all that stuff. So it's like kind of non-essential stuff. It's not like seven on seven or like one on ones or right. or inside run or something. Right. So there's
0: only so <coughs> much you're gonna get yeah. watching the kickoff team.
1: Yeah, uh, you'll find out like maybe who the returners are. Like,
0: but that doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. You see it and you're done. You're yeah. Everything.
1: So like if you time it out well, it's, it's fine. But um, I got used to it toward the end, but thankfully, it's over now.
0: So. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the spring game. Mm-hmm. The uh, It was a 14-7 game. Yeah. Obviously, we want to very much focus on what happened in the game because that's the important part about spring. Mm-hmm. The actual spring game is the most important part <laughs> about spring. Being completely sarcastic because the, yeah.
1: Yeah, because they ran like three or four plays on offense and defense. Like, right. It was really vanilla, it's, like.
0: Right, like it was, yeah. Like reading your story about it, like it was so vanilla that it almost made me like, did Tony Hughes think the SEC Network was televised?
1: <laughs> and then I got to the game, he was like, "Yeah, we're not gonna open, we're not gonna open the uh, the playbook up during um, during the spring game. We don't want it to get across the network." I was like, "What network? Like, what's gonna get across?" <laughs> like, right. Like, like Fred McNair's not here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got practice today. Like, <laughs> like, like, like where's it gonna go? But anyway. Yeah, so they kept things rather vanilla three or four plays on, on offense and defense and that's how you get a 14-7 game that ends with a Hail Mary that gets like basically picked off and taken to the house uh, for the game winning score
0: the one thing I thought was interesting was the idea and this is the quote from Tony Hughes because it was a 7-7 game yeah and he says I went to bet both head coaches and said we're going to play overtime if it stays tied yeah that's interesting because like most coaches would just be like alright cool we're like mm-hmm. every play is you risking an injury. Yeah. Like every play is you like Javancy Jones falling down and tearing his mm-hmm. ACL. Like <laughs> yeah. like that's the very real risk of spring. Yeah. And so I think it says something about like Tony Hughes's like desire to insert competitiveness yeah, yeah. into the program. And you know, talking about, you know, not making things easy, like we're going to get up and practice at 5 a.m., and mm-hmm. I'm going to expect you to be 100% ready to go and give you and give 100% effort. Yeah. We're going to play the spring game, and you're going to have to –
1: Somebody's going to win. Somebody
0: like, is going to win. We're not going to walk away and just mm-hmm. go, good game, guys. Like mm-hmm. Someone is going to win this thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that kind of falls in line with why they didn't name a starting quarterback. Even though it looks like Ivy is the guy, they want that competition to still go on throughout the summer, throughout fall camp. Right. So I, he's just trying to foster that competitiveness and – he talks about how Tony will always tell you about kind of the coaches he's coached under, like Ed O'Jeron and Ed O'Giron came from Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll his main thing is competition. So Oh one hundred percent. Yeah, so like Tony's trying to instill that that competitive mindset where some of these guys maybe last year they kinda of knew they had their spots kinda of clinched and or whatever. And this year he's trying to make that competition last longer throughout the, throughout the year.
0: And don't, I would not be surprised to see them play multiple quarterbacks this year because you talk about things that Tony Hughes has learned from the people he's coached under. What did Dan Mullen do every year outside of the last two years with Dak Prescott? Mm-hmm. He played multiple quarterbacks. You know, when he had a very mobile Chris Relf, Tyler Russell would come in on obvious passing downs because Tyler Russell had a stronger mm-hmm. throwing arm. When Tyler Russell was a starting quarterback, you would see Dak Prescott. Um, and even for a moment, there, Dylan Favre get into games because they had different elements they could bring. Yeah, even so, at
1: Florida, T-Bone, Chris Leak. Right, rotated. right,
0: exactly. Like, his history is doing that. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have somebody like an All-American, All-SEC mm-hmm. level guy, then you can mix and match and play the guy's strengths and, and make that work. And so I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see, you know, them. Go with a Lamontias Ivy. Maybe he's the starting quarterback, but then maybe yeah. you bring in, you
1: know, Jordan Williams, Jordan some Williams stuff.
0: or somebody else to kind of run a little, you know, read option yeah. package.
1: Yeah. And so, but has kind of asserted himself for for now. Um, the backup situation is kind of a little bit different. You don't know who's uh, there's a different guy getting reps to the backup spot every week. Uh, Brent Lyles, Jordan Williams, Jermar Coble, and then. Juwan Adams was at the spring game, uh, three-star quarterback out of North Pike. Uh, he was there, so you you figure he might come into the mix this fall and see what he can do. Um, so there's there's a lot of things going on with the quarterback depth chart at Jackson State.
0: What do you think Lamonte Zavi did that asserted himself?
1: He in was the just spring? Uh, the most consistent out of out of the four that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't make many mistakes. I know he got picked off and in the, in the spring game, but. Other than that, he protected the ball really well. And last year, that was the thing. I mean, the interception numbers weren't incredibly high, but he played with fire a lot. And there's a lot of games where, <clears throat> where he almost had two or three picks a game because he was just pushing the limits a little bit. And I think that's what he learned. And that's what he said he learned this spring. He's like, I just, like, now I'm learning, like, I don't need to make the great play every play. Right. It's just sometimes I can, sometimes I'll just have to throw it away. Sometimes. You need to kind of take the sack. Um, He said any drive that ends with a kick is a good drive. That's what he's being told. So as long as you don't turn it over, like, it's fine. And you see him protect the ball better a little bit this spring. Um, And you see him be a little bit more consistent um, than the other guys, and I think that's where the experience he had in the past couple years kind of helps.
0: Well, you you know, and that's where you get into playing to the score of of a football game Mm -hmm. where, let's be real, Jackson State was down a lot the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah. And you, when you're down, you have to take risks because mm-hmm. you're trying to fight your way back into yeah. the game. And the only way you're going to get yourself back into the game is by scoring points. Yeah. And so, you know, even if he knew I shouldn't be making this throw, time and situation, you go... be call for it. Right, you go, we're down by 21 in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. i got to push it. Yeah. Like, i got to go for it. A punt doesn't help us here. either. I yeah. got, I, we got to score points. Mm-hmm. So if the defense is more competitive... Um, if the offense is more well balanced and, and well rounded,
1: yeah, there's be a lot of pressure off of. There's off. a lot
0: of pressure off, and maybe you're ahead in the third yeah. quarter. Maybe it's a tie game where you can play to that scoring situation mm-hmm. and say, "Let me just throw the ball away, yeah, exactly, and, and pin them down, and we'll go take it another shot in a couple of minutes." Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I think I think this this offense is kind of if it operates at, at its full strength, I think it'll. Take a lot of pressure off Lamontias because they stressed the run game. The past the, in the spring game, they really you know, Ben Thomas got the ball, but Josh Bates and Robert Johnson were both kind of banged up, so they didn't play. Um, but in the first spring game, and and when they had the running back depth, they did try to assert the run a lot, and that was the main focus of the offense. And if that if that run game does kind of develop, and the offensive line does develop, I think that. That will take a lot of pressure off Lamontias, and they won't ask him to do as much. I mean he's still a capable passer, but I think that'll take some pressure off him.
0: No gonna kind of throw fifty times a game. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he throws thirty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Uh let's talk a little bit about you mentioned the running back. Let's <laughs> let's go there first. Is there one guy and I know they were banged up and I know so that it, it's a little bit hard to get a feel for mm-hmm. things, but is there one guy that you saw that you saw something in you said that guy could be a number one back or is this a deal where it's going to have to be a mix and match
1: i think it's going to be a mix and match where they kind of where robert johnson and josh bates kind of complement each other uh, robert johnson ran really well and he's he's trimmed he was last year people kind of saw him as the bigger back um but this year he's kind of trimmed down uh, i think he lost about 15 pounds and mm-hmm. um he's a little bit faster but i mean he had that shoulder that was kind of Barking all all, all uh, spring and ever since last fall camp, uh, but when he did play in, in the first scrimmage, he looked he looked really good and uh, Tony Hughes was high on him all spring and mentioned him a lot during press conferences and and after scrimmages and stuff like that. Then you have Josh Bates, who's kind of the more shifty one, where he's catching passes out of the backfield, catching screens, uh, making people miss. So I think it's gonna be kind of them complementing each other well, and then in the fall, that's when. A lot of the freshmen they recruited that to play running back will will come and kind of bolster that depth, and maybe maybe some of them can sneak into the lineup.
0: So a little bit about formation, because we know that they're not going to throw it as much as mm-hmm. they used to. What was the most frequent formation that you saw?
1: It was three receivers, tight end, uh, quarterback, and running back. So
0: out of the gun. Mhm.
1: But it was a lot of a lot of running.
0: So who do you think those top three receivers are?
1: Right now I think it's Carl Ollie, Ramello Shoemake, and Dan Williams, which which is kind of interesting because last year – Tony Hughes came in, came in the year and said, everybody's going to get an opportunity to play. Right. And last year, Jar- Mole uh was running with the ones. And um, Deshaun McKenzie, he was hurt last season, but the year before that he was basically a starter. Um. So maybe like – just typical thinking, like, oh, these guys, they started last year, then they come back, and they're probably going to be running with the ones this year. Right. But – and Ollie and Shoemake were kind of – they one was a redshirt freshman last year and one was a freshman. But Tony Hughes said, hey, everybody's going to get a chance to play, so it's going to be what you do now. And Shoemake and Ollie had good springs, so they kind of made their way up and with the first-team receivers. Um this spring they they're running with the run, with the ones a majority of camps so it was those two and and Dan Williams um, just getting their opportunities to catch passes from from Ivy. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the defense. We have you know, we haven't really touched on them. Mm-hmm. Javancy Jones still good. Yeah, still yeah. really good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, you wrote a story up on ClarinLidger about you know the senior buy-in mm-hmm. and Tony Hughes wanting the seniors to kind of lead the program, yeah. and, um, and especially in the situation they've been in, where they've had you know how many head coaches, yeah, four, four head coaches during their careers, yeah. like it'd be very easy for those guys to check out, yeah, and, and getting those guys to commit to Tony Hughes for this year is it's really step one, mm-hmm. I think, everything else comes after that. And it sounds like Jones has.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that when he was one of the first players to speak to the media after uh, this spring, and he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. Like, whatever these guys need me to do, like, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm coming in with an open mindset." And he really wants wants to win this year because I mean, his freshman season, they're in the SWAT title game, they are losing overtime, so he's probably thinking, "Like, man, we're going to be back here."
0: Right, right. I got I got plenty more opportunities yeah, yeah. in this thing,
1: right. and. So he's probably thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to be back here." And then he hasn't had a win. They haven't had a winning season since then. So I mean, he's probably desperate to to win this season. Guys like Dan Williams are too, um, as they they've they've seen the, they've been close to the top. Now they've seen the bottom. Right now they're trying to get back up to the, near the top. So um, I think that's that's what I wrote. I think that's one of the reasons why that buy-in is there.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think of John Hendrick, the new a coordinator, his scheme?
1: Um, He's been running four down linemen, um, or three down linemen a lot, with Javancy being basically a defense end but just standing up. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of taken time for the defense to learn it um, because they still kind of have some room to improve, uh, just in terms of communication, everybody getting lined up and stuff like that. And when you think, hey, this is the fourth defense coordinator in four years, like overload's going to come sooner or later, and these guys are going to be like, yeah, this is a lot to learn. Right. Um, um, so I think that kind of had to do <clears throat> with that this, this spring where maybe you see some guys like not getting lined up right away in the right spots, and some guys getting confused on some stuff. I mean, it's it's bound to happen. Um, but his scheme's been pretty simple, four, like a 4-3 basically. And sometimes you'll see them go into more nickel. They went to a lot more nickel during spring where it's just two linebackers, 5-5, defensive five, backs. And I, to me that makes sense because the swack Everybody basically runs the spread, right? Yeah, so the more speed you have in the field, the better.
0: Yeah, I mean your your biggest rival, Alcorn, this entire offense is predicated off of being in the spread and putting players in space and, yeah. and saying we don't care what their size is mm-hmm. if if we get them out in the open yeah. field, they can make guys miss. So yeah. yeah, you want to have you want to be able to match them as much as you can with speed mm-hmm. on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, and last
1: year you didn't see that much with Jackson Davis. Four down linemen, three linebackers, and pray that they stay with. Which is, which is funny because
0: like the off the, on the other side of the ball, they're running the air raid. Yeah, yeah. Like so, one side of the ball was just like, "Screw it, future throw it, <laughs> yeah. yay!" Four verts, four verts, yeah. four verts. And the other side was, was like thinking like, Dip Butkus was walking through that door?"
1: <laughs> yeah. <and> like, <laughs> yeah. So you get like a linebacker matchup on like, or a safety matchup on like on Willie Quinn and Southern and like. And you wonder why he scores a touchdown. It's like well I mean you need, more, why, you, need, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need you need more speed on defense. Um so yeah, they're running a little bit more nickel um this spring and I know sometimes when they're working on passing si- situations and hurry up drills like I remember la- one day last week there was like eight teams at the backs on the field, uh, three down linemen and the the linemen were all basically ends. They just played one at tackle. Right. Um so just getting more speed and that seems to be uh, one of the focuses for Hendrick this season.
0: Okay. Antonio, let's let's kinda step back for a minute here on our band is better than your band. The number one college football off season storyline has been satellite camps. Mm-hmm. We've all been inuated with it. Yep. We're all probably tired of it. So you know what we're gonna do? Talk about it some <laughs> more. Because it, there's an aspect of it that I think has not been talked about. Because mm-hmm. the the conversation is through the power five scope. Scope. Yes, it is through their eyes that we have this debate and discussion. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, let's be real. College Public media, that's what they cover. Yeah. So the satellite camp ban comes down mm-hmm. and everyone's reaction is to go, Well, this is great because we stopped Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Like we stopped Jim Harbaugh dead in his tracks. We we finally got him. Yeah. And all the Power Five coach, you know, Hugh Freeze comes out and says, "This is great. I I want to be home. Like we would have had to do it, and yeah. I didn't want to do it." Dan Mullen was also against it. Everyone's SEC and ACC led this thing. Mm-hmm. Got the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve yeah, to jump on board. To jump on board. Got it done. Stop Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> that evil that evil man <laughs> up there in Ann Arbor. Come around with these newfangled ideas that have been there for years.
1: Not letting them come to Mississippi.
0: Not letting them come to Pearl, man. Not letting you know, I was excited. I was gonna give me something to do. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think it was probably the next day. It's like, oh, wait a minute. This also bans the smaller schools going to camps at the larger schools. Yeah, I think
1: Matt Campbell, Iowa State was pretty outspoken against it because he was supposed to go like his staff was supposed to go with Michigan to Texas and do a satellite camp over there.
0: Right. Right. And and you know Hugh Freeze said you know I let everybody like he led Arkansas State where he used to yeah. coach he led South Alabama um, you know he told me he was like I pretty much any small school I, I let them you know if they called and asked I'd let them come to our yeah. camps and, and what it did was not only did you have more counselors and, and more people that could give instruction mm-hmm all of those schools were looking for the guys that weren't going to get that sec offer but could maybe get an offer from them yeah and it's harder for them to get people to come to their camps Yeah. and it just it's you know and dirt costs like it's harder for them to just say let's throw all nine assistant coaches mm-hmm. through a 12 state region for two weeks like yeah. that Costs money you know hotels and flights and rental cars and everything that they just don't have and so it's harder for them to do that they could go to a camp at Ole Miss or Alabama or Auburn or mm-hmm. LSU and be able to get a look at some of these prospects yeah. over the course of the weekend it was efficient it was an efficient recruiting this includes the SWAC yeah but I don't think Tony Hughes all that worried about it
1: yeah he uh, asked him I asked him last week at the press conference and he's like yeah it doesn't Really affect us much, and you kind of think, well, Tony's been a recruiting coordinator in the SEC, so he knows like if I can't go to this camp, like you know he's gonna find other ways to find guys. Uh,
0: Tony's had a junior day.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so he knows how to get guys, and he'll have a sophomore day, and I think he's gonna have um like a ninth through middle school day or whatever. Right. Where he's he's not he's not it's it's an invite. There's invites that go out. But everybody's welcome. Yes. So, he's gonna find ways to see the guys he needs to see. And.
0: Right, and that's the greatest thing. If you're a Jackson State football yeah. fan, is that your head coach was not whining about the fact that he couldn't go somewhere yeah. to get a good look at these prospects because he already had a plan for how to see them. <laughs> yeah. But.
1: So yeah, he knows like, and he he did mention like yeah maybe if I go to to one camp I'll miss it, I'll miss out like. Maybe you can find a Jemainez Jones like at a Mississippi State camp where Mississippi State's like, yeah, we can't offer him, but but maybe Jackson State we can. Um, so he did admit, like, yeah, we like sometimes there's stuff like that that happens, but he's still looking for other ways to kind of get around that.
0: Right, I, which I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like I 100. I you know we've talked a lot about you know, why Tony Hughes was the right guy. Yeah, And one of those things is the fact that he has a plan for everything. Mm-hmm. He knows, like, he wasn't expecting that. Like, yeah. his reaction was not, like, I have to go rip up my entire recruiting philosophy. Because yeah. he had already, I mean, he's running that thing like he's still a recruiting coordinator at an SEC school. Yeah, Like, that's, the playbook is the exact same, it's just the name on the front of the playbook has changed from the yeah. state <laughs> to Jackson state.
1: Yeah. Exactly, but he's still carrying himself the same and trying to bring that kind of mindset of doing things right mm-hmm. um, to Jackson State.
0: All right, last thing before we go. you were actually going to take some vacation later this week.
1: <laughs> yes, going back to San Diego on Thursday.
0: Right, but you have a story coming. Yeah. Tell the people about the story.
1: Just uh, Jackson State baseball, baseball. Um, there's,
0: sell it man don't be like oh it's
1: just it. <laughs> sell it come on I'm uh, uh, writing about like the international the international and the foreign guys the guys that are that are born outside of America right kind of how this process started um, Omar Johnson just being with the German national team mm-hmm. uh, seeing the players from the Bahamas um, the motivations why they want to come here or why they want to play in America and um, just what the transition's like for them and right. and uh the Puerto Ricans, the Puerto Ricans technically are American citizens. Um, and it's American territory, but I mean, Spanish is the dominant language. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, I, I could really write like, I, when I was writing the story yesterday, I was like, I feel like I could write a thousand words just in the Puerto Rican, the, the five Puerto Ricans alone. And just what, what goes on with that group. Um, but yeah, just seeing how the dynamic works and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm running that. That should probably come out later this weekend, like Saturday yeah. or, or something. Um but yeah, it was something that I was really excited about doing and Omar Johnson was um uh, gave me told me a lot of good stuff just uh talking to him for that story. And right. read him like three or four times for it. Um yeah, and he, and there's a lot of good stuff he he talked about in there.
0: Yeah, I mean I had a column I wrote last year about Memo Rodriguez <laughs> because he was leading the instant play and hitting at that point. Yeah. Um and it was kind of a cool story and, and the one thing I remember is is that you know he was talking about he originally went to a community college in Iowa yeah. and then came to Jackson State and I was like so what do you think of Jackson and his response is like it's not Iowa <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> and
1: I think that's what some of the guys who go to who go to camp who go to junior college in Iowa or Maryland
0: right
1: they see snow yes and then it's like right. like that's the shock and then you have a guy then they come here and like oh it's more like their country warmer, warmer climate. Yeah, I and feel, yeah. yeah and they're more used to it and the thing that's funny talking to the Puerto Rican guys like Rene Colon and Jesus Santana it's like Melvin was their guide last year so like whatever Melvin did they would do like and they're like yeah Melvin knew everybody we didn't know anybody so like Melvin was like our guy Like, so like he helped them transition to like that first year on campus now they're like in their second years so like now they know stuff because of Melvin and like him, right. him showing them around um, so that was that was pretty funny when I heard them heard them talk about that.
0: Yeah, Melvin was just a, a genuinely good dude. Yeah. like I mean, you know, I, I talked to his JUCO coach, mm-hmm. and the, and this, the story of how they found him is very similar, I think, to probably a lot of these stories is that yeah. they went down to an academy, and yeah. and Melvin was there, and he wasn't quite, you know, the goal of those academies is you're going to sign a professional contract at 16, 17 years yeah. old. If you're not quite good enough. There's not really a whole lot for. There's mm-hmm. not a next step for you there. Yeah. And so these universities and junior colleges have been able to kind of go down there and say, "Well, how about getting an education yeah. at an American University?" Like.
1: Yeah, and sometimes those guys will go to like Florida, or like Miami, and they'll have right. camps over there. Right. Absolutely. And they'll see them there, and uh, catch them over there. And I know Omar Johnson. I know it's a lot of recommendations because yes. Omar's from Miami. Right. So that plays a big part in it. He's from Miami. He knows a lot of knows a lot of people there. And he's built up enough relationships throughout the, with the junior colleges to know where to look and stuff like right. that. Right, and
0: you, and you gotta keep them. because yeah. that's the other the other part about it. Like, and that's what the Duke coach was saying. It's like <laughs> I'm bringing these guys to Iowa. They've never been to Iowa. It's not yeah, like I bring them up for official business. <laughs> yeah. and like some of them are just gonna be like, I can't do this. Yeah. Like you're asking them to be a student, play baseball, and yeah, it. And it's really cold, <laughs> like, yeah. and nobody speaks their language, mm-hmm. and like. But Melvin always hung in, and he yeah. comes to Jackson State, and he hungs in, and that and that's where the recommendation thing comes in. That if, if you treat these guys right, because if you don't treat them right, and if you don't provide the kind of environment that they need in order to excel, like they're going to go back home, and they're going to say, "Don't go to Jackson State."
1: Yeah, and that's what you see, Omar. Throughout the years, like two thousand eleven, I think he had a couple guys from the Bahamas, and you, slowly and slowly, you see. The right. number of kind of guys who aren't born in America grow. Like um, like this year, like, like I said, this year I went from like 3 in 2011, it's like 15. This year you have guys from South Africa, the Bahamas, Puerto, uh, Puerto Rico, um, Venezuela, Curacao. Um, I think it's seven different countries that are represented on that team. Um, so you just see it, you're seeing it kind of grow. Mm-hmm. and Absolutely. And I think that has to do with them winning, but obviously them... The international guys obviously doing, finding their footing over there. Yep.
0: All right, that is it for our band. It's better than your band. I don't know when we're going to record the next episode. We're in the off-season now, so yeah. it's a little... But, you know, we'll be around. Yeah. You know, We'll let you know. If you if you follow Antonio and I on Twitter, um, clarionletcher.com, we'll let you know when when a new episode is coming up. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody. All
1: right, thanks, guys.